You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. So we're doing a series in the fall called A Quiet Revolution of Love, and A Quiet Revolution of Love refers to what Jesus is really about over and against the idea that Jesus came to start a religion called Christianity. We're talking about how he came to start a quiet revolution of love, that his message is good news, that it's not just for religious people, but it's actually for all people, whether you consider yourself religious or not. And so we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke, and today uh, we're going to look at a passage in Luke, in Luke chapter 13. Uh, but we're not going to spend a ton of time on the passage, because I think the passage brings up this larger question of this idea of hell. And so we're going to spend the whole middle of the, of the time talking about the Bible's concept of hell, then we'll come back to Luke chapter 13, and we'll see if that changes the way that, that we read what Jesus is talking about. But I'm going to start just by reading this passage. Jesus is traveling around, and he's talking to Jewish people just like him. And he says this, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. Uh, Before we keep going, this is not an easy uh, text. This is not one that you probably would choose to speak on because it gets worse than this. Um, and the message is not. So I want to say before we even start that I'm going to talk a lot about hell today. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to make the, this verse un, less comfortable or less uncomfortable than it is. Um, but, but we will be talking about what it's really saying and not, and not what Jesus is not saying. So first of all, Jesus is traveling around and there's, there's Jewish people. We know this from later in the story. Jewish people ask him. They say, Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? Um, now, we can't be sure exactly what the person means by that, or why they're asking, but there were beliefs in Jesus' day that uh, there, was a, there was a coming judgment, that God was going to come and bring a war that was going to separate God's righteous people from the unrighteous, and a few people, or people were going to be saved from this kind of, the, the destruction of this war. People had different ideas about how many people would be saved. So there were groups that believed that there would only be a small group of people that would be saved. So even though there were all these, even Jewish people, there were all these Jewish people, uh, not even all the Jewish people were going to be saved. There was just like, and basically it was like the people that are in my group, they're going to be saved. So there were these ideas going around about everybody assumed there was going to be this war, but who was going to be saved from it? And so it seems like that's what the guy is asking Jesus is, let's hear your perspective. Who's going to be saved? So he says to them, it's key, Jesus doesn't answer the question, really. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. So just for a picture They ask this question about, about how many people are going to be saved. And Jesus tells them this little story, a picture, that there's a house. And he says, the door to the house, it later says house, the door to the house is really narrow. Okay, so it's, 
It's only like small. You can only enter the house through the door. So he says, make every effort to go into the house because a time is coming when you will come to the house and you will knock on the door and the owner of the house will not let you in. Or sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, the owner of the house will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. So at this point in the little story, it's clear that Jesus is, is telling them that what they should worry about is not how many people will be saved. In other words, don't worry about anybody else is what he's saying. But you yourself make every effort to enter this house because there will come a time. The door is narrow, but it seems like it's open right now. Okay? You can enter it, but it's narrow. But a time is coming when you will come and the door will be closed and you will knock on the door and you will, you will want to come in. But the owner will say, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. And then you will say to him, what do you mean we don't know you? We, you taught in our streets. We ate with you. Who does that sound like? It sounds like, I mean, you can make it to anybody, but it sounds like the Pharisees that Jesus is often there around, or just Jewish people in general. We're asking, we, we knew you. You taught, you taught us. We came into your house and ate dinner. And he says, I don't know. And then he replies again, I don't know you. I don't know. Okay, so we begin to see what Jesus is doing. I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. And then Jesus says this. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in his kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Inside there are those who are... Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, the first who will be last. So Jesus' metaphor continues, and he says, the house is the kingdom of God, okay? It's the, it's the, it's the place where God dwells. Jesus, it seems like, is the, is, the, is the homeowner or is the caretaker of the house. And he says, there will come a time when the door will be closed, and inside you will see, and realize what he's doing, you will see, you will, he, can't speak, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these Jewish people are be outside, and inside you'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And inside is like a feast. It's like a big party. It's the kingdom of God. You'll see them inside, but you'll be stuck outside. And outside, what is it going to be like? It's going to be like weeping and teeth grinding, gnashing of teeth, sadness, frustration. You're going to be stuck outside. You're going to see your, the people that you thought you were with inside. And in fact, there's going to be people that come from the north, and that's east and west, <laughs> And south. And what's he saying? He's saying these are, these are not Jewish people. You think, he's saying, that this is owed to you. How many people are going to be saved? It's almost like you're asking, of course we're going to be saved. How many other people are going to be saved? And he says, you should actually make every effort to come into the house right now. Because there's a time when the door is going to be closed. You're going to see who you think you should be with inside. And instead, what's going to happen is there's going to be people that aren't even Jewish. From the north, these are all lands. The north, the south, the east, and the west. They're going to come in to the kingdom of God. The people that you thought were last, they're going to be first. And you, you thought you were first, you're actually going to be last. And you're going to be stuck in this place out here. So he... he the difference is inside the house is the kingdom of God. It's a feast. It's a big party. And outside the house is weeping and teeth grinding, which I know because I grind my teeth at night. I actually have this. Uh, I grind my teeth so hard that uh, I broke fillings in my teeth. It fell out. So I know a little bit about hell. Um, okay, so this is that's all. That's for now. That's all we're going to say about Luke. That's what Jesus is saying. But it, it's, it raises a question. First of all, the poor guy who asked him the question, how many people are going to be saved? And then he got this. 
we'll talk about the door and what it means to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about? Because obviously he doesn't think they understand how to get away from this and get in the house, right? But what is that? What is he saying is, is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? And when we read that verse, I think the first thing that, especially if you've spent any time reading the Bible or you consider yourself a Christian, it sounds like this idea of hell. Notice he doesn't use the word hell, but it certainly sounds like that idea of hell. Other places, he says similar things, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of the images that's given of this place. So what is hell? Um, there's, a, there's a traditional view of hell that goes like this, and just see if this is maybe how we've thought about it. The traditional view of hell is, and if this is all new for you, just stay with me. And work. So... The way we usually think about it is that you live life. Everybody lives life, right? And then you continue on your life, and at some time, you experience death. And that's the big question. So what happens now? That's what everybody's arguing about, right? You live, you die, then what happens? Well, the traditional view says that after you die, everybody has this password moment. So what is it like? You're going to die, and you're going to come to the gates of heaven, and someone's going to ask you, you know, what's the magic word? And you're going to say, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And he's going to say, great. So you got it. You can come in. And then that's when you get this place called heaven, which who knows what it's like, but it seems like it has to do with singing and clouds and, you know, these kinds of things, right? So that's the traditional view. Or at the password moment, you get it wrong, right? You say, I don't know what the password is. What's the password? I thought I did good things. So, and so that will bring you to a place of hell. And as opposed to heaven, hell is fire and suffering and punishment. And, you know. So this is the traditional view, if that makes, I don't know if that's been yours, but that's the tra- traditional view of how it works. By the way, this whole part, everything you see on the board, this is not me. This is a, from a few different people that work on this stuff, but especially, just so I can cite him, there's a guy named Tim Mackey, who's a, a professor. And so he gives this kind of, overview of what is heaven and hell like. I think it's helpful to, to think about, so I'm just going to regurgitate it back to you. So that's the traditional view, okay? But that's not the biblical view, really, at all of what heaven and hell is. And so when we have that other view of heaven and hell, and we read a text like Luke 13, what we think Jesus is saying is, do whatever you can to get the answer right. And if you do, you're going to be in heaven with me. And if you don't, you're going to be in hell, like out of the house. And it's, it's hard because it, it certainly looks like that when you read the story. But if we look back at the full picture of the Bible, we're just going to run through it really quickly. We begin to see that that's not, that, that old story is not what the Bible says. I hope that this all fits on the board. So the Bible starts in the book of Genesis. This is the day to have a wireless microphone. The Bible starts in this, in the, The story of the Bible starts in the book of Genesis in chapter, um, in the end of chapter one, God says this, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is an extremely high view of human beings, the highest view that you'll find in any kind of belief system or anything. What it says is that God created all things, but he created human beings exactly like him. And he gave them a, a lifestyle and a, 
and a calling in life that would be like his, to rule over. This is, by the way, not a negative thing. This is a caretaking thing for the world. And so this is how the, the Bible starts, not with an idea of hell or even heaven, the way we thought about it. But it starts in a garden where God and human beings live together. Okay, and so what's really important to get here is that God creates us, men and women, in his image. And we're in unity with God. Okay? The world in Genesis 1 is very different than it is today. And the, the biggest difference is that God's space, like where God dwells, and the human being's space is like united together. And the way that the Genesis talks about it in, in another passage is that the, Adam and Eve, the characters, are walking through the garden and God is too. And so we see this is very different than how we experience life now is that it's almost like God lives in a dimension and so do we. But in Genesis 1, those dimensions are, are intertwined. There's so much unity. We live in the same place. So something happens in the story very quickly, though, in this, this, this world that God had created with human beings. We use a word. It's called, it, we say it falls. It fell or it falls. And this is where... This idea of sin and death come from. So God says, he gives them a warning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so uh, we don't want to spend, I don't want to spend too much time on the tree right now, although we could, it's super interesting. But God, God does create a tree, or there's a tree in the garden, it doesn't say whether God made it. And there's, he, he doesn't want them to eat it because if they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will begin having to live an independent life. They'll live a life outside of God, outside of relationship with their father. And they will begin making their mind up about how the world should work and how they should lead their own lives and right and wrong. And he knows that that is the beginning. Not that it's just an awful thing. That is the first step toward a long line that ends in death. And so it's the first idea we have this word death comes in. Now, you know the story. I'll just keep going for a second. So in the story, Adam and Eve eat the fruit. And this is just a little piece of it. Then the eyes of both of them after they eat were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So what you, what you get is that the Bible starts in a, in a world that says it's free of death. No death exists here. God, in God, there is no death. God did not create death and death had nothing to do with the world he made. Human beings through their own actions invite death into the world. First thing that happens is Adam and Eve are kind of have this perfectly harmonious relationship. And the minute that they eat, it's like their eyes were open. They see each other differently and they're broken apart. So the first thing we have is that death enters the world. Relational death happens. Then physical death, Genesis chapter 3. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. This is God talking until you return to the ground. Since from it you were, ta- you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. So what's happening is this is all, this is, none of this is, is God's will that it happened, right? God created the world in Genesis 1 a certain way and said it's good. Adam and Eve make this decision, and from here there's this spiral down. And God said, look, this is what's going to happen now. First of all, we've already seen this relational death. This relationship between Adam and Eve has died. It's dying between them and God. And then he says that Adam, for example, you, I made you from the ground never to die. Adam was never supposed to die. But because you've chosen to sin, you will return to the ground someday. So this is physical death. Okay? 
So we have relational death, physical death, and spiritual death. The, the clear is, it's clear throughout the Bible that this is happening, that they're not living spiritually with God forever. But in Ephesians, Paul makes it clear. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. So he's not saying you were physically dead because you were, you were taking part in the system of sin. He's saying you were spiritually dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So we don't have, I have so many things up here. You don't need to worry about all of it today. But the point is here, there's spiritual death. Paul says that you were actually dead at a time spiritually. So this is the first key, is that this is the way the story of the Bible starts. It doesn't start with our life. It starts with the life of God, creating life, and human beings bringing sin and death into the world. Okay. Is this making sense so far? I realize this is very different than what we usually do, but I hope that this is something that you can keep with you. Because I know that, uh, I don't know about you, but most of us don't like to talk about hell. And... Uh, but in the story of the Bible, hell is, is not, I mean, it's a terrible thing, and it's not a thing to joke about, and it's not, and you'll even see at the end here, it might, not, it might be different than you thought about it, but it's definitely not a positive thing. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing, it's, a, it's beautiful in the story of God. It's beautiful what God does with this, and why it exists, and what ends up happening uh, with it. Sin and death come, and so what this is, is this is the present life that we have, okay? This is the present world. And this is living death. So death does not begin the moment that we die in the Bible story. And it's clear from Paul here thinks so. Death, death, the, the world exists in a state of death now, God thinks. So this is not just something that's going to happen someday, but we try to make life as good as we can, which is fine, but it's actually living death. Now what happens in the story of the Bible is that Jesus comes and Jesus comes as the image of God on the earth, and he lives in the midst of a world of death, even though this is the miracle of Jesus, too, even though Jesus is the image of God, and in him is the life of God completely, right? He is God himself. He comes into a world, into a world that's void of that. So if you think about it, in, in Genesis chapter 1, up here, this was, this was the life of God and the life of human beings merged together in unity, and that shattered the minute that Adam and Eve started making these decisions. And Jesus comes back into this thing. He's present in the garden, and he comes back into this world to try to unite it again. So, this is a long verse, but I think it's, it's beautiful and good for this point. This is Paul talking about Jesus. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him, so listen to the language, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we, might, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. To death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives, he lives to God. So the themes in here is that Jesus coming, even not anything about him, Jesus coming and dying and raising again, this story that we tell, has everything to do with Jesus conquering death. 
So the whole time, this is why God is really good, this is why it's good news, is God didn't do this. And this is not bad for God only, certainly is, but it's very bad for us. And it's very bad for the world. And God came again to conquer death, because it's bad, to bring it back to the way he had it before. So this is where things then begin to change. Is the world then, in the story of the Bible, again, the world splits again. This is the idea that we believe. At this point, because of what Jesus has done, history begins to change in the story of the Bible. Now, what happens then is as we become, as you start, to, as you decide to follow Jesus, this is what happens. Whether you are conscious of it or not, what Paul's saying here is that what happened with Jesus is that he died to sin and death, and he rose again from the dead. So now he he the image is that he conquered this, he rose above it back here, creating a way or a doorway, if you will, in Jesus's understanding, back into life with God. Okay, so what it is, is it's, it's, he's just trying to get you back to the way God made things to be in the first place, free of relational death, physical death, spiritual death. But what happens is there's obviously a choice in life, and some people continue to live along this line. It's living death still. It's, it's, it's a world uh, free of unity with God, of, of life with God, of, of relational life, and of spiritual life. So this is where we start getting confused, or people confuse people. I hope I'm not confusing you. There's a lot of information here. So this, this is the moment when you, you decide, no, you don't decide, but some, I guess some people do. Death, okay? That says death. Trust me. So what happens there? That's the question is, so you're made in the image of God. People are made in the image of God. Sin and death enter the world, and you start living your existence. Everybody born into the world is born into a world of living death. As good as your life is. For some people, this is easier to believe than others because they, they live in the circumstances that they would consider death, most of the world, a, a large percentage of the world, that it shouldn't be like this. It certainly should be something else. In North America and other places, it's easy to believe that it's actually pretty good if we can forget about all the other stuff. So we're in living death. The world should certainly not be like this. But then you die. What happens? Well, the scriptures say that if you know Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then something happens. And it's actually, the Bible is not, it's not very concerned with what happens when you die. Okay? There's actually very few verses that talk about what happens the moment you die. If you, let's start with this. If you don't know Jesus, you don't follow him, you don't want to, you don't like him. What happens is you go to what the Bible calls Hades. It's fun that we're doing this on Halloween too, I think. It's very unintentional. You go to a place called Hades, but Hades kind of has this bad rap because all Hades means in the, in the original languages is the grave. So believe it or not, the, the Bible really teaches that the moment that someone dies, and especially before Jesus, this is kind of what they believed. The moment someone dies, they go to the grave if they don't know Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, they don't really explain it. It's just that they're in the grave. It's, it's probably just, it's, it's, it's kind of full experience of physical death. Now, if you know Jesus, if, if, you're, if, if, you, if you just look back at Romans 6, the, the scriptures say that if you've kind of been raised with him, if you've died with him and been raised with him, 
Here's an example of the death. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. This verse is just one of many examples where the, the word grave is Hades. So what he's saying is, my son is in Hades. But all he means is my son's in the ground. Okay. But then in 2 Corinthians, for example, it says this, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Again, there's, there's so much here, but what Paul is saying is, I'd rather go be with Jesus right now. But if I go be with Jesus, I'm going to be away from my body. Now, this is a, kind of confusing to us. But if you think about that traditional view where it's life, death, password moment, heaven. I didn't talk about it, but the way most people visualize it is at the, at the death, your soul leaves your body, goes up to password moment, and then your soul lives in heaven with God or in hell, right? The Bible doesn't have this understanding that it doesn't want the soul to be separated from the body. God created human beings in physical bodies when everything was good, and he wants it to stay like that. It's kind of funny to talk about, but that's his desire. Here, though, the, the way the Bible explains it, Paul says, I want to leave and be with Jesus, meaning I want to die and be with Jesus. But if I do that, it's like my soul is going to be with Jesus, but it's going to be away from my body. This might be weird ideas, but this is the Bible's understanding of what happens when you die. So if you're in Jesus, if you consider yourself a Christian, at the moment you die, there's almost, this is almost the clearest you get here. There's maybe one or two other places where it's somewhat like this. But it's just like, you're going to be with Jesus, and he calls it sleep. They always call it, it's a, even when Jesus says, oh, no, the person's sleeping. Right? Well, even last week he says this. It's, and it, Paul uses the same term, is that they understand that when a human who is in Christ dies, it's like they go to a kind of sleep. It's like they're not fully conscious, they're not in their body, but they're with Jesus, that's all we know. Because the Bible is looking for what happens over here. There's something else coming, and that's what the Bible's talking about. So, at first you get, this is, again, most people think of this as hell, but it's not the picture of hell that people have. So, the key is, Jesus is reuniting people with God. He's reuniting the realm of God with the realm of human beings, and this area is free of death. Everything through here is free of death, free of sin, free of hurt, free of pain. And so, that's the beginning. So, at what point? At, at one point then, the story continues to where, and if you know the story of Jesus, you know, but we don't talk about it all the time. These things will fully come back together again. So, the story of the Bible is not ending in, a, in, in people going off to heaven, for example. And I know we'll talk about hell, but we kind of also have to talk about heaven, I guess. This is... You die once, and then, so in other words, there's life, there's life after death, and then there's life after life after death, if this makes sense. This is how some people talk about it. And this is the part that the Bible talks a lot about. So the Bible's not really concerned with, even though that's mostly what we talk about, the Bible's not that concerned with what happens the minute you die. It's, it's concerned with what happens when Jesus returns. So at some point, the scriptures say that Jesus will come back and when he comes back and this we're getting back into Luke's territory a little bit when Jesus comes back there's going to be a judgment and there's going to be a resurrection so this is what he means Acts chapter 17 in the past God overlooked such ignorance not knowing about Jesus okay 
But now he commands all people everywhere to do this thing called repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by Jesus, who he has appointed. He has given proof that he will do this by, to everyone, I know I'm changing names just so you get the point, to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered that it was ridiculous, but others said, we want to hear from you again about this. So the real point of the scriptures is the idea of resurrection. What happens to Jesus is a picture of what God's saying is what he's going to do to the whole world is he's going to wake it back up. He's going to revive it back to how it was in the first place. By the way, this, it might just seem like, some of it might seem kind of odd, but this is much better news than the other story. Much better news for the world, for you, for me. So what happens then, and this is where it's not necessarily easy, but this is what the Bible says, what happens then to the people that don't know Jesus? The people that are in the grave, there will be a resurrection and everybody resurrects. People that are here sleeping and people that are here in the grave. And what he says is, or let me give you this. So there, I'll read this to you and then I'll tell you about it. Many, there are many different images and metaphors in the Bible for what happens to people that don't know Jesus. We have kind of confined them all into one thing. But hell, the word, is one image that's given of what's going to happen. And the word hell is actually a Greek word that comes from, it's the Greek word Gehenna, which you might have heard, which comes from a Hebrew word, which is referring to a place, actually. So it's a place in southwest Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. And in different stories throughout the Old Testament, it's a place, a physical place, where terrible things happen against the Jews, against Yahweh, even by the Jews. It's just a place where like nothing good ever happens there. Child sacrifice, things like that. The Valley of Hinnom was a physical place in the southwest of Jerusalem where terrible things were done in Israel's history. It became a metaphor for the final judgment. So when people say hell, this is what we're kind of disconnected from. When Jesus talks about Gehenna, the picture is there is a place reserved. It's like a, it is a physical place where where. God will finally put right everything that's been wrong and has been refused to be fixed, basically. This is, I think, a hard idea for us to get because this is part I'm not going to be able to do something with. First of all, the the, the idea that hell is, again, the idea of hell is one picture of of what this place is. It's not the name of the place. Does that make sense? We have to, like, go through a lot of what we've done. There is a place, and it's really, a better term for it would be like, like uh, I, had a, I had it, but like, full death. It's just full spiritual death, like separation from God. We use these different words for it, but the idea of hell is one image, and Jesus uses it quite a few times. And it's really a place where judgment comes. We often think about it as a place of fire, a place of uh, suffering and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I want you to, it's, it's, I think it's more helpful to think about it like this. Hell is a real place. Okay, the scriptures make clear that it's a place. But all the images that we have are all metaphors and images for what it's like. We don't know what hell is like. Much like we don't know exactly what heaven is like. But all these images, Jesus says, are images of something trying to get you to think about what a place is like. Not exactly what it is. And the problem is because if, if you get caught up on the idea that hell is a fiery pit where people go and suffer forever, you will miss the real tragedy of what's happening in hell. Because that is not the issue with hell. God's desire is not that people go to a place and be punished forever in fire. Okay? That's not the tragedy. That's not even, it's an image that they're trying to say is, it's this serious. 
You understand, it's this serious to fully be cut off from what you were made for. It's more about that. It's more about you're fully cut off. I mean, imagine somebody who's fully cut off from their true identity, who will never know it. This is the tragedy. The tragedy is when Jesus comes to the door and says, there's a time when the door will close. That's the, that's the only point I think that you should keep that's a tragedy, is that there will be a time where, it, where it's not okay anymore. For me, these issues are, are uncomfortable. Uh, I don't like thinking about a world where that's the case, and it'd be easier if I could explain it away to you that that doesn't exist. But I think that we should, we should really be okay with this idea. If we think that there's any justice that should be done in the world at all, if there's any ounce in you that thinks that justice should come to the world, even someplace, somewhere, somebody should find justice, then we have to, we have to acknowledge then that if God's going to bring justice to the world, that that means that we're going to be looked at too. Even if I think I'm much better than other people. That's the start of my problems. If I think that justice should come to the world, then I have to accept that I'm going to be a part of that too. And so what God's doing is, if we understood the tragedy that we've done to God, the tragedy of the world, I mean, if we think the problems in the world today are bad, which they are, just multiply that by infinity, and you get what we've done to a world that God created out of love and for good. And then we see that God in his long-suffering, we'll talk about a verse at the end, long-suffering and patience wants nothing more than for everybody who has ever existed to be back here. Everybody. This is just the continuation of what we're already living in into eternity. Okay, so that's why it's not about there's a bunch of people and God's going to say at some point, if you don't pass the test, I'm going to send you to fire. He's saying, you're living in death, and I'm offering you to come through the door back into life. And if you don't, you're going to keep experiencing death, and it's going to multiply until all you experience is death. Until all you experience is, all you experience is separation from God, and what it feels like in fullness. So what happens to people, though, that know Jesus? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You imagine that. That's the story. That's the real story of the Bible, is that God is here. And much like what Jesus has done, God will come back down and make his dwelling place once again with people. So if this is the earth and this is heaven, if that's the way you want to think about it, they're uniting again. That's the end of the story, is we don't leave. No one leaves. You either fully experience death outside the house. And that can, I mean, there's no explanation for exactly what that is like because it's not the point. You experience full separation from God or you're, or you're merged back in kind of the same, the same uh, what did I say before, but the same domain with God. You're united again with him, almost to walk with him in the garden. This is what it's like. So what does that do, though? I mean, it's still somewhat troubling to think God can do anything. Why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just do away with it all? Why doesn't he just forget about the whole Judgment thing. What's the heart of God like? Second Peter three nine. The Lord 
is not, is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. <laughs> Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So you see what's beginning to happen. The, the story, the subtext of the story I told, that it's life, death, password, heaven or hell. The subtext is that God is sending people to hell, right? Um, this is not actually the case either. That God is, I mean, just look at this verse, but there's something else we'll talk about too. God is not sitting there actively sending people to hell. That wouldn't make sense, because that would think that hell is someplace altogether different than where we're living right now. Which it is and it's not. This, you're living here, which continues. Seems like a straight line. You come through Jesus, and you raise to, to newness of life with him. And at some point, the scriptures explain in some kind of generalization... That whether you're sleeping or you're still living, you'll all be ro- rise again and be with Jesus in a new city. By the way, a new city, so there won't be like sitting around, right? Just like Adam and Eve were given like a calling and a purpose in the garden. The city is a city full of people, not just two people. A city full of people is God's city where, and you see it. Whereas here, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's images, weeping and weeping and grinding of teeth. And here, there's no tear at all. God Himself wipes them all away. So God, in his patience, does not desire that anybody would perish, right? He doesn't want anybody to experience this. And he's being very slow. That's what he's saying. In his, he's patient. People think, oh, he's, why, is, why is Peter saying that? Well, why isn't God just doing it already? Why isn't he just like, defending us and bringing justice and bringing us into his kingdom? And he's saying he's patient. Why? Because there's something else going on, too. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he's slow. Here's a, here's a quote by a, a theologian. We should observe that God does not send anyone to hell. He desires that none should perish. God created humans to have fellowship with him and provided the, the means by which they can have that fellowship. It is a human choice to experience the agony of hell. His or her own sin sends the person there, and his or her rejection of the benefits of Christ's death prevents escape. As C.S. Lewis has put it, Sin is this human being saying to God throughout life, go away and leave me alone. Hell is, God's fi- Hell is God's finally saying to the human, you may have your wish. This is why it's about tragedy today. It's why in some ways it's going to end in a miracle and in some ways it ends in tragedy. But it's a different kind of tragedy, I think, than often we think about. Here's C.S. Lewis himself. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And it, it used to say thy, so I just changed it. So that's why it says that. Your will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it's opened. So what's going on then? And it may be sense. Well, what do you mean? And, and there's many people that say this. People that find themselves in hell, in Gehenna, in a place of perpetual death, they want to be there. This is a different idea, I think, than we've thought. And it's because, again, death, or or the the Bible's understanding of Gehenna, of what happens at the end of time, not when you die. This is also somewhat comforting, we've thought. When you die, you know Jesus, you're either sleeping in his presence, what it says, whatever that means. You're sleeping in his presence, or you're in the grave. And we don't know what that means. But at a time when Jesus comes back, all will rise. And you will either, be, you will either meet Jesus in the, in the city of God, 
or you will experience, you'll be thrown out. You'll experience weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what it means is that as someone is going through life, this is the tragedy. This is why this whole idea that, that we need to get Jesus' message right is so important. Is because people are reject, if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God's solution to everything for your life. So the idea that we don't like the idea that God would judge. Okay? We don't like the idea that God would look at me and say, Michael, and this is what the Bible says, what have you done? This is kind of confusing because all the judgment that God talks about is about what I have done. The gospel says it's not about what I've done. But God's going to look at me and say, what have you done? And I'm going to say, oh, how can I ever be judged by God? Of course I'm imperfect. Of course I'm imperfect. And God's going to say, well, it's not what he'll say, but this is what I say. To not be judged by God, there's already a solution to it. As I come to know Jesus, who says, that I'll take all judgment for you. You can have my perfect record. So when I stand before God and he is judging the world, which he must do in justice, that he'll see the perfection of Jesus. He'll see me as his son because I've come through the door of Jesus. Otherwise, there's no other way in. There's no other way in, not because God's making some arbitrary rule, because we already ruined it all, right? God, in his mercy, when the world fell, could have said, forget about it. I'm not going to be involved anymore, which would have made the world just spiral and spiral and spiral into complete and utter separation from God. But God is still really present in the story of the Bible because he wants to bring it back the way it was made to be, even better maybe. But so people that are rejecting Jesus are rejecting life. They're not rejecting, so the real Jesus, they're not rejecting a religious idea, a religious person. They're rejecting true life and they're rejecting the freedom of sin and death, not just to please God, the sin and death that ruins our life and our world. And so if they would accept Jesus, they come into life. If they don't, they continue to experience separation from God. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying, that really what's happening is that we're, we are given our true desire, which is, I don't want to know God. The tragedy of that is, I wonder how many people know that God is actually love. Who, how do we know what we're rejecting? And that's, I don't have an answer for you there, but that's the real tragedy of it. So to, to kind of go through quickly, heaven and hell are dimensions of, of space. God, if you want to talk about heaven, heaven is a dimension where God exists. It's a space. In Genesis chapter 1, heaven and, and humans are sharing this space. That space becomes fractured, and human beings, when they're existing separate from God, they don't have life anymore because life came from God, and that turns into death and perpetual death, which would continue and continue and continue through their physical death, where they're in the grave, to full spiritual, relational, and physical death in uh, after the resurrection. In the same way, through Jesus, if we accept what he's done for us, we come into relationship with him. It says that we die with him. When he died on the cross, we died to sin and death. Our old self died. That was the only way that could have happened. And then as he rose from the dead, we rise from the dead again, back into right relationship with God, back into the identity that we had at first in the image of God. And in the end of time, God will fully, completely do this when we all rise again with him. This is not going to be like a fairy land where we're sitting on clouds and singing songs and it's like a perpetual church service. But we come into a city, just maybe somewhat like cities are, but it's right and it's good and it's perfect and God is there with us. So Luke chapter 13, then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? 
He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up, it's at the end of time, gets up and closes the door, you will stand knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. Elodie, if you want, you can come up. Cause I, yeah. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. First of all, Jesus here at the end, he's making his own point too. He's not saying even like I'm doing today. This is the overview of what heaven and hell are like. He's trying to make a point to the the person asking him and saying, you understand that it's not exactly like you think it is. You yourself should think about you yourself, and you should think about entering through the door. Because all I've been trying to tell you the whole time that I've been here is I'm trying to tell you what the door is and how to enter it. And instead, they're always asking about other people, and he specifically brings up this point about you will be surprised who's there. First of all, you'll be surprised that you're not there, and you'll be surprised that people who didn't think should enter are entering from all different places. So to end, there's a tragedy the Bible talks about that God mourns over, weeps over, desires would not happen. And it's a very easy solution to it, and that's that people come to know Jesus. God is not himself sending people to hell, but people, hell is the full continuation of what this life is like, which is still tragedy, but it's not exactly like we thought so what do, you, what do we do, though? Here's a quote that I've used before, but it's from, it's from Greg Mitchell. Repentance is not feeling bad and trying harder. It is choosing the vulnerability of relationship with God over the safety and pleasures of independence. What does Jesus say to them at the end? I think this is the key to the scripture. He says to them at the end when, they, when they're knocking on the door, he says, I don't know who you are. He doesn't say, what have you done? Which might matter, but he doesn't say, what have you done? He doesn't say, can you pass the test? He says, I just don't even know who you are, so you can't come in my house. See, the secret, if there's a secret, the secret to entering the door is to have a relationship with Jesus. That's all he wants to know, is do I know you? And to know Jesus is to do this thing called repent, which is in, in, in the passage from 1 Peter, what he says is he's, he's calling everybody to repentance. And repentance means, means changing my mind about life. And it's this image of turning and changing. So I'm going to stop living my way. I'm going to stop defining life myself. And I'm going to turn to Jesus and say, it's not about understanding everything. It's about turning to Jesus in relationship and vulnerability and saying, fine, you can have my life. Because what it means is, what Jesus is saying is, your old life is dead. It's a very radical concept. Your, whole, your old life is dead and you're going to rise again. And now I'm new, so it's baptism. This is what baptism is about, is what it means. The picture of baptism is a picture of this happening. I go into the water, which signifies drowning, really. It's a very intense picture. I go into the water, which shows drowning, and I come back out as a new person. I die, and coming back out of the water is that the person who's just died underwater has been reborn again. And I'm reborn in relationship with Jesus. I'm reborn as a, in the image of God, as God made me to be, which is in part now and will be full later. So I want to invite us to think about repentance is a process that we all enter into as people who follow Jesus. It, the way that you start following Jesus for the first time, the way you enter the door is to meet Jesus. 
is to meet him while the door is open. That's what he's saying in our life. It's in your life that there's this opportunity at all times to know God, to come into relationship with him. God is extremely patient and like a father who doesn't want to lose his child is, is super patient because he doesn't want to see it be too late. These are not weird ideas. I mean, to think that God is some, some angry guy that's, that's, that's judging the world based on his own weird rules is not how it works. It's that the world is already going to hell. And God, in his, in his utter mercy, is wanting to bring people back when he could have left it. So he's not sending some people to hell and sending some people to heaven, but we're all going to hell unless we come to know Jesus. That's the story. Hell is maybe not what we've thought about. And this is why if you knew that hell is not necessarily just this image of fire, but it's full separation from God. Some people want that. Some people don't know that that's really what it is. Some people don't know that they can have anything else. But to enter through the door is to come into relationship with Jesus. And so as we end, I'm going to pray just like we've been doing <coughs> and leave a minute to, to, I'll pray and show you what repentance looks like. If you're a Christian, you can pray with me just to, just to practice repentance because I need to too. And if, you're, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you can come to know Jesus right now and receive the full benefits of that. Not an escape from this place called hell, but an entrance into relationship with God. Because what we live in is hell masked with comfort. Restra- God's restraining the full force of what that would be like, of what full separation from God would be like. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.